The Center for Thinking Biblically is a ministry of the Masters University. Visit thinkbiblically.org for more information. Let's take a look at the relationship between birds and dinosaurs. So what we're going to look at specifically today is, why do evolutionists believe birds evolved from dinosaurs? Are there similarities between birds and dinosaurs? And what should creationists do with feathered dinosaurs? Now, it's likely that you've heard before that birds are living dinosaurs or that dinosaurs evolved into birds. Um, and this is the conventional evolutionary understanding of where birds came from, that they evolved from theropod dinosaurs in the Jurassic. And so you can see there um, an image, I originally saw it in National Geographic um, as a kid, of these um, dinosaurs evolving into uh, a bird. And so there's lots of features that they use talking about there with um, not only feathers, but um, arm construction, hip construction, skull construction, all kinds of things that um, show links between birds and the theropod dinosaurs in particular. Now, creationists have jumped on this before, um, as you can see there in evolutionary fairy tale, in this case with the evolution of pterosaurs, but same kind of idea. What use is half a wing? The idea being, how do you make a non-flying animal learn how to fly? And it's a good criticism. How would something like that happen? But instead of just criticizing something or you know, mocking it, we want to actually understand what's going on here, right? Because our goal isn't ultimately just to poke holes in an evolutionary model. Our goal should be to understand what God has made. So if we're going to start with this, we need to start where we always should start with the Bible. What does the Bible say? If this is really God's revealed truth, then it's important to understand what God thinks about it. Now, what's interesting about this topic in particular, the Bible does say something, right? If you want to talk about pandas or humpback whales, there's not a lot going on there. But the Bible does specifically talk about birds during the creation week. And it says in Genesis 1 that God created birds on the fifth day of creation. But God created land animals on the sixth day of creation. So I think we can conclude pretty clearly that birds could not have evolved from land animals because birds are there first and then land animals appear in the biblical narrative. For evolution to have taken place, land animals would have to be there first and then the birds would have evolved from them. So as a result, we could make some predictions. This is what we want to do in science, right? We've got some information, now we want to think about what it could mean and then go out there and test some ideas. So one of our predictions might be that no other animal is going to look like a bird. And that's kind of a reasonable prediction because when you look at the world around us today, we have birds, we also have mammals and reptiles and amphibians and fish and, and even insects and things. None of the rest of these animals are gonna be confused with a bird, right? No one looks at a warthog and is like, hmm, is that a bird? No, it doesn't happen. Birds are very distinct creatures. And so as a result, we might predict that would be true in the fossil record as well. Our second prediction might be that there should be no transitional forms linking birds to other animals, right? Since birds were specially created on day five, they shouldn't have any intermediate forms or, or transitional forms leading to them. Now, if we're gonna begin looking at the fossil record of this bird-dinosaur discussion, you really have to begin in one place that everyone begins, and that's Archaeopteryx. Archaeopteryx is possibly one of the most famous fossil animals known in the world. Um, and this particular fossil, the Berlin specimen, is possibly one of the most famous fossils in the world. The original Archaeopteryx was found in 1861. That was originally known as a, from a feather, oddly enough. But really, the name we think of is it assigned to what's called the neotype in London. Um, you can see it in the upper right corner there. And that was described by Richard Owen, uh, who was no friend of evolution, but he named it Archaeopteryx, meaning ancient wing. He just thought it was a weird bird. 
And it's known from the Upper Jurassic Solnhofen limestone. And over the years, more specimen found, we up to 12 now. And it's a very fascinating creature because it has this seeming kind of chimera mixture of traits. It has some bird characteristics. Clearly, it's got feathers all over it. Not every Archaeopteryx specimen preserves feathers, by the way, but many of them do. And um, it also has a furcula, a wishbone. Not all the fossils show up, but some of them do. But it has some dinosaur characteristics, too. For instance, it has a long, bony tail. Birds today all have short, bony tails. You know this if you've ever cooked a turkey before. You didn't have to chop off a big rod sticking out of the back of the turkey, right? Additionally, Archaeopteryx has three clawed fingers. That's kind of unique. You don't see birds run around with that today. Exception being juvenile Watson birds in South America do have that, but other birds don't. And then finally, Archaeopteryx has teeth in its jaws, literal teeth, not just some kind of weird serrated beak like you see on some geese, which are terrifying, but actual teeth, okay? So what do you do with this creature? And that was what was wondered ever since the 1800s, and people have argued about it since. And the really strange thing is that basically not a lot was found to kind of add to this discussion until the 1990s. Um, and so it's a big gap of time where we only had a few fossils to deal with. But in the 1990s, fossils started to come out of China and then started to pour out of China. Tons and tons of fossils of dinosaurs with what appear to be feathers. The first published one being Sinoceropteryx on the far right there, which has this kind of fuzziness um, all around it. And there was a lot of debate when this came out. They said it was proto-feathers. Um, and then other people said, no, that's just some kind of frill on it, or maybe decaying collagen from the specimen. Um, but studies have been done on this, intense studies, where they've looked at and found out that these filaments are hollow, that they have melanosomes, which are the um, things in cells that give color, one of the things. And as a result, we actually been able to say that Sinoceropteryx likely had an orange and white banded tail, kind of like a red panda, which is pretty cool. But that's telling us that these little fibers on Sinoceropteryx are something on the outside of the animal, what we call its integument. Whether you think that they're feather-like or fur-like, it's something on the outside. Other dinosaurs, like Sinornithosaurus here, um, also have that fuzz, but were also found with feathers, as you can see in the lower left image um, of a Sinornithosaurus arm with lots of feathers there. There are other feathered dinosaurs that have come out of China, for instance, Caudipteryx, which is an oviraptorosaur, um, which has feathers on the arms and tail you can see there. Clearly not a flight-capable animal. And then one of the most famous, Microraptor, which has giant flight feathers on its wings, or arms, making up a wing, as well as on its legs, um, which seems kind of unusual, and people call it the four-winged dinosaur. Um, although there are pigeons today that have big feathers on their legs as well, certain breeds, so it's not really that unusual, but it is interesting. Um, regardless, you look at an animal like this and you see the feathers and so you instantly think bird. But when Microraptor was originally discovered, the fossils did not show feathers. And so they just said, well, it's clearly a dromaeosaur dinosaur. And it wasn't until later they started finding ones with feathers and they said, oh, it turns out these animals had feathers. So we've got to ask the question now, how far does this go? Do all dinosaurs have feathers? Well, so far, many of our theropods, especially the Solarosaurs, show feathers or feather-like structures on their bodies. Even things like Tyrannosauroids, like Eutyrannus, a big 30-foot-long animal here, as well as Bapialsaurus, one of our bizarre Therizinosaur dinosaurs. Many dinosaurs, including these, also show scale impressions on their bodies. And lots of dinosaurs, for instance, sauropods or um, hadrosaurs, show no evidence of feathers. Well, we got some issues now, some things to think about. What do we do with this? One of the things that's been done in the past is to, pardon the pun, cry foul, right? Um, that these are fake fossils. And fake fossils do come out of China. 
For instance, Archaeoraptor here. Archaeoraptor was um, found in the 90s and was sold to a paleontologist named Steven Zirkas, um, and he wanted to publish on this and talked with another paleontologist, and there was some discussion there, and they said, well, you hold on, we need to wait, we'll put it, write a paper, put it through peer review, you know, do the works, right? Well, he had other ideas and went straight to National Geographic. National Geographic is not a technical peer-reviewed journal. It's something for the public. And so, of course, they jumped on this. They made it their cover thing, Archaeoraptor. Well, it turns out Archaeoraptor is a fake fossil. What they did is they took multiple fossils, put them together. So the top part there is a bird. The bottom part is from a dinosaur. And they kind of just stitched those together. And you can see it's pretty frag you know, fractured there, like a puzzle piece. Of course, they should have waited and gone through the peer-review process. But it's important that we note here who it was that found out this was a fake fossil. It was evolutionists. Other evolutionary scientists were judging the work of other evolutionary scientists. That's because, in general, scientists want to do good work, regardless of their belief system. They want to find out what's out there. They want to study things. And if they do bad work, then bad things are going to happen, right? So you want to make sure that you're doing your best work. So I think when these fossils come out and they're described, we can trust that they're doing good science. Now, another option is we could ignore what's out there. We could just focus on just Archaeopteryx or just, you know, kind of not pay attention to the whole thing. But that's becoming increasingly difficult to do, as now over 50 species of dinosaurs are known with feathers or feathery-like structures on them. And you even got fossils like this, a piece of amber with a feathered dinosaur tail inside of it. And you can see how detailed the feathers are that are preserved inside of here. That's really cool. So, what should we do? Well, let me suggest, when you're finding things that are contrary to what you expect, it's time to go back and rethink our assumptions. Let's go back to assumption number one. We said that birds are gonna be distinct from everything else. And so kind of implied there is the idea that no other animal's gonna have feathers. But here we've got dinosaurs with feathers. So let's rethink that assumption. Can a dinosaur look like a bird? Well, you've got things like Anchiornis here, which we have over 100 specimens of this. Um, and some of them have exquisite preservation. With laser-stimulated fluorescence, we've been able to see all kinds of structures on these, including feathers and scales on the feet, and even be able to figure out colors, showing that it had some kind of a reddish or orangish crest on its head. That's really amazing stuff. And so, if this is a dinosaur and it has feathers, what do we do with that? Well, let's move forward to our second assumption. We'll come back to that. Our second assumption was that there should be no intermediates between birds and other animals. And of course, we see this today, we don't see anything that looks like that. And certainly we know birds did not evolve from a land-dwelling ancestor. And so we predicted there'd be nothing in between some kind of land animal and a bird. But then they found Archaeopteryx. Okay, well there's nothing between any of these things and Archaeopteryx. But over time, more and more things have been found. And so you can see how an evolutionist would look at this and say, aha, we see the evolutionary sequence for birds from dinosaurs. But maybe something else is going on. After all, why can't there be an animal that kind of looks like a dinosaur and kind of looks like a bird? Why is that an issue? Ultimately, it's not. In fact, in the Middle Ages and even before, people talked about the great chain of being, um, where they thought that every kind of creature that could exist would exist somewhere. And so when people originally discovered chimpanzees, for instance, the Europeans discovered them, they weren't surprised that there was an ape that kind of looked more like a person. It didn't bother them at all. Just like, cool, look at that thing, right? I think if we're gonna think about this rightly, we need to understand that the present is not the key to the past. So there's a 
kind of a philosophical way of thinking in geology called uniformitarianism. And the idea is that you look at the present and then you look at the past, and whatever the processes are that are at work in the present, you limit the past to those processes. Only what's happening now happened in the past. And creationists attack that philosophy, and we're right to do so. There could be all kinds of things happening in the past that aren't happening today. And in fact, we know it's the case from things like a global flood. But I think sometimes we can kind of fall into similar thinking when it comes to fossils and biology. For instance, today we only have birds and reptiles and mammals and amphibians and fish. And we say, everything that's ever gonna be found as a fossil is gonna fit in one of those categories because that's what we have today. But it turns out when we actually look at the fossil record, there's all kinds of creatures out there. And our temptation has been to try and shoehorn them into one of those categories we already have. But there are things that kind of look like fish and kind of look like amphibians, and things that kind of look like amphibians and kind of look like reptiles, or kind of look like reptiles and kind of look like mammals, or kind of look like reptiles and kind of look like birds. What do we do with that? Now, an evolutionist would look at this and say, aha, I see a phylogeny, I see an evolutionary tree. But as a creationist, I look at it and I say, there's a bigger design pattern at work here that we haven't been recognizing. So let me use an analogy for a moment with mammals. There are lots of different types of mammals, and we recognize the group mammals as creationists. These are animals with fur. They usually give birth to live young. They produce milk. And yet we recognize that there are different created kinds of mammals, right? Things like bats or whales or red pandas or wombats, which no relation with bat. So we recognize different created kinds of mammals. The evolutionist also uses the term mammal, but they mean more than it than what we mean because they also are saying that every animal that's a mammal shares a common ancestor. Well, that's interesting. They would say a bat and a whale, by being mammals, share a common ancestor. Well, we don't mean that when we say mammal. We just mean that they have some similar features. And so we can recognize a group of animals and we can classify them and everything without automatically implying their evolutionary history. And when we look at fossil mammals, the pattern doesn't change. We still see different created kinds. Even when we add things that are kind of like mammals but aren't quite, our non-mammalian synapsids, we still don't see an automatic spectrum of evolution. You could also be seeing here different created kinds that fit a design plan. So when we're thinking about this, it really comes down to the question of created kinds. And so when we look at created kinds, some species do actually share common ancestry within the kind. For instance, I have up here zebras and a donkey and a miniature horse. These animals all look like each other. I heard one person say it's just horses with different pajamas. Why do they look like each other? Because they share a common ancestor. There is only one horse kind with many species within it. And so for instance, we can use the fossil record to help us understand that better. When you look at the fossil record, we see horses change over time, changing in size and number of toes, but still being horses. And so Noah probably would have taken off the ark two horses that he could carry in each arm if he wanted, little animals, that over time would have diversified into the modern horses we have today, as well as many other species. So let's apply that kind of thinking to our feathered dinosaur problem. When we looked at the feathered dinosaurs, I and some of my colleagues wanted to do baromenology on them. What are the created kinds here? Is it just one giant spectrum of evolution, or are there actually distinct units? And so for instance, looking at oviraptorsaurs here, you can see some of those baromenology diagrams again. And we found that oviraptorsaurs cluster well together and were far away from other dinosaurs. And what we found actually is all these individual families or superfamilies of dinosaurs that are recognizable to us are also recognizable as created kinds, with some exceptions. For instance, troodontids and dromaeosaurids being one kind and birds, of course, being many kinds. And so, yes, if you zoom out, you can see what looks like a spectrum. But when you zoom in, there are actual individual created kind units separated from each other by discontinuity. And so what have we learned? 
Well, I would suggest to you that from looking at the fossils, I think we can say there are feathered dinosaurs. And feathered dinosaurs are not necessarily proof of dinosaurs evolving into birds. It just means there's more animals in the past that had feathers than we know about. And our temptation to shoehorn fossils into categories, I think, is a problem. Not only does it hurt our understanding of the fossil record, but I think it also neglects the complexity of how God designed things. We're seeing a greater pattern here. We should rejoice that we're seeing more and more of God's glory as we look at these creatures. Just because we don't understand everything yet doesn't mean it's bad. In fact, it means we need to work harder because there's something out there to understand. And I would tell you that God's glory is on display in an amazing way when we study the life of the past. Thank you for listening to the Center for Thinking Biblically podcast. To help support this ministry, please visit thinkbiblically.org forward slash donate. To learn more about the Master's University on campus and online undergraduate and graduate programs, visit masters.edu.